Good morning. It is truly a blessing that God has given us to be together, uh, that we can praise him as our father, uh, as our savior, uh, that we can open up his word uh, and listen to him speak to us today. Um, here in, in Acts chapter 2, uh, this passage that we just looked at gives us a, kind of our first glimpse of what the New Testament church looked like, um, how it functioned, what work it was involved in, the focus of its ministry and mission. Uh, and while there's much more that we learn about the Lord's church as we go through the rest of the book of Acts and into the epistles, uh, it, it all comes back to the foundation that we see here in Acts 2. Um, if there was one verse in all of scripture that, that effectively summarizes who we should be as a local church, uh, I, I might pick Acts 2, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. And, and we could expand and, and flesh out that list, but if we want to be the church that God designed and created us to be, then this needs to describe us. This needs to describe the, the Eastside uh, Church of Christ. Um, and for our purposes today, I want us to focus on one of those four uh, statements that are made here. Uh, they've devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Devoted to fellowship. What does that mean? What does that look like? What, what sort of things should we be actively pursuing and engaging in as a congregation in order to be people that would be described as devoted to fellowship? What's the biblical pattern for that? Um, the Bible uses the word fellowship. I, I think we're going to see it in two primary ways. We could probably uh, talk about some different ways that it's used, but I think it, most ways that it's used kind of fall into two separate categories. One is the spiritual foundation of fellowship, and the other one is the outward <coughs> expression of fellowship. And so sometimes it talks about fellowship in terms of the relationship itself. And sometimes it talks about fellowship in the, the way that we, uh, that that relationship is engaged in and acted out in practical ways. So the spiritual foundation uh, of fellowship and the outward expression of fellowship. Let's start by looking at uh, how the Bible talks about the spiritual foundation of fellowship, describing the relationship itself. Um, many times throughout the scripture, we see the word fellowship used to describe our relationship with God, our relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3, we see this concept very clearly. Um, it says, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, and so here, our fellowship with one another is an outgrowth of our common fellowship with, with God. Our, our relationship with Jesus and the Father is the foundation of the spiritual relationship that we share with each other. Uh, and so there, there is no biblical fellowship where fellowship with God is absent. That, that is the core. That is the foundation of what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about fellowship. Um, we, we see this as well, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. I apologize if the words aren't very clear uh, on, on the screen here. Uh, but it says, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, 
Jesus Christ our Lord. We are called into fellowship with Jesus. That's the gospel, right? The gospel message is calling us into a relationship, into fellowship with Jesus our Lord. Later on uh, in the second book to uh, Corinth, in verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 14, it says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And so this dimension of, of fellowship is really what the gospel is all about. It's what we are called to, reconciliation with God, going from separation with him to, to having a, a loving and intimate relationship with him. So that he would be our God and we would be his people, that his spirit might dwell within us uh, and we could have this, this loving, eternal relationship with him. And, and that fellowship with God really defines everything about our fellowship with one another. That's, that's the foundation, what it comes back to. And so as we look at this fellowship in terms of our relationships with one another, I think it's helpful uh, to see the different ways that the Bible describes or defines our relationships with each other. Consider Philippians chapter 2, as Paul talks about Epaphroditus here. Notice some of the words that he uses to describe their relationship as fellow Christians. He says, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and ministry to my need. So we're, we're fellow family members, fellow workers, fellow soldiers. And, and in fact, that's not just applied to Epaphroditus. If you look at the beginning of Paul's epistle to Philemon, Philemon chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, Paul says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. So it's not just Epaphroditus here. We see the same three images used of Philemon and those in his household. We, we are brethren. Uh, we are part of a loving, close-knit family, fellow family members. Uh, and as fellow children in God's family, uh, that means something about our relationship with each other. We're fellow workers. As we share in the same kingdom work and ministry of spreading the gospel, of building up the body of Christ, we are co-workers to a common master uh, and uh, a common mission. I, I think about 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul warned the, the Corinthians not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Uh, he uses the word fellowship in that context. Um, but, but I think that that's a helpful image. The, the idea is that we're not to be so attached emotionally with, with people of this world that those relationships are going to be pulling us away from the Lord, pulling us in a different direction. But, but just as that shouldn't describe our relationships with, with the world around us, that should describe our relationship with our, our fellow family members in, in the family of God, Right? We, we are to be equally yoked with one another. That means pulling in the same direction. That means if one of us starts to, to pull aside, that, that we're helping one another pull in that same direction. And, and so all these words that describe our relationships with one another um, show us the, the same spiritual walk that we're in, the same spiritual work that we're in. We're fellow soldiers. You, you think about the idea um, of people fighting side by side. That, that glues people together, right? Uh, think about the idea of a, of a band of brothers. We're, we're a band of brothers and sisters in the same spiritual fight, the same spiritual warfare, fighting for the same commander against the same spiritual foe. And so we, we need 
to, to recognize that the spiritual dimensions of our relationship with the Lord, our service in his kingdom, that, that tie us together as God's people. Um, and we could look at many other passages that, that repeat this language uh, and expand upon it, describing us as fellow citizens, fellow servants, uh, fellow heirs. Uh, but, but what I want us to appreciate in seeing the spiritual foundation is that biblical fellowship is first and foremost this spiritual bond that we share. Uh, we aren't just fellow Americans uh, or fellow Yinzers um, or, or fellow Steelers fans or pizza lovers or hobby enthusiasts. Those aren't the things that are intended to tie us together. That's not biblical fellowship. Uh, biblical fellowship is us being fellow kingdom workers, members of a spiritual family and body and nation. Um, and any concept of fellowship in which that is not front and center is not biblical fellowship, right? Um, the things that tie us together are that there is one body and one spirit and one Lord and one faith and one baptism, one God and Father overall uh, in Ephesians 4. We share a common salvation uh, and fellowship with God. And so we, we understand biblically that that's how this relationship of fellowship is talked about and how it's defined. But, but what does that mean practically? How do we devote ourselves to fellowship? It's one thing to define the relationship. Uh, you know, it's, it's one thing to understand what the word marriage means. It's another thing entirely to devote yourself to marriage, right? It's not enough to just be in the relationship. No, de devoting yourself to marriage is going to show itself in some very practical ways. And so we, we recognize that, that we have this relationship, but what does that mean? How do we devote ourselves to the relationship? Practically speaking, how do we engage in fellowship? Biblically, what are the outward expressions of this relationship? Um, I, I had several points kind of uh, fleshed out uh, to talk about today, but I realized for time's sake, we're really just going to focus on one main point. Uh, and hopefully in a future lesson, we'll look at some others. But, but I want us to, to go back to, to Acts 2 and see one of the primary um, uh, or most prominent ways that we see the Bible talking about this outward expression of fellowship, and that is ministering to the needs of the saints. Um, I'll mention as well, the Bible talks about fellowship in the sense of uh, having fellowship with preachers of the gospel and supporting them. It talks about fellowship in the sense of fellowship in our worship. Communion uh, is that word fellowship as we think about sharing together and, and remembering the Lord's death as we just did. Uh, it even talks about fellowship uh, as extending the right hand of fellowship uh, in, in a sense of just expressing our approval and support of the work that other people are doing. Uh, but the primary way that I think we see the Bible talking about this outward expression is in ministering to the needs of the saints. If you want to look back with me at Acts chapter 2 uh, that Luke read to us a moment ago, let, let's read that again starting in verse 42. And I want you to look for context clues here uh, about what's being talked about when it says that they devoted themselves to fellowship. What did that mean? So verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. 
day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. When we read this, this entire passage, does it help us understand maybe a little bit more what it means when it says they were devoting themselves to fellowship? Um, you know, if you look down in verse 44 and 45, it says, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. Um, that's a shortened form of the, the word communion, of, of our Greek word for fellowship. The word for fellowship is koinonia, and this word in common is koinos, koinos. Um, and, and so here, this is a practical outworking of fellowship. This is practically showing us what it meant that they were devoting themselves to fellowship. They aren't just acknowledging the relationship that they have as brothers and sisters. They're they're living it out. They're taking care of one another like family by seeing to each other's needs. And we see this happening both on a collective and individual basis. We'll see the collective aspect of it fleshed out for us a little bit more in Acts chapter 4. But you notice there in verse 46 um, that even individually, from house to house, uh, they are breaking be- bread and taking their meals together with gladness. They're showing hospitality to one another. You have all these people who have come into Jerusalem who don't even live there for the- this feast uh, of Pentecost. Uh, they've-, they've heard the gospel. They've become part of the family of God. And now the, the residents there are opening up their home and saying, hey, you, you come eat with me today. Um, They they are exercising this fellowship, seeing to one another's needs, uh, living out these relationships that they have and and developing these relationships that they have, uh, both uh, collectively and and individually as well. And and you see this in Acts chapter 4. You see a little bit clearer the the more collective aspects of engaging in this fellowship. In verse 32 of Acts chapter 4, it says, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. There's our word again. And with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Okay, so individually, it seems that they are opening up their homes, they're, they're providing meals for one another, maybe a place to stay for one another, uh, but as well, collectively, they're coming together. Um, they don't just consider that what they have is common property, but, but they're actually putting that into action by, by taking these funds, pooling them together to make sure that then the, the church collectively is providing for the needs of the brethren. Uh, and so the collection itself is first and foremost an act of fellowship. It's a way that we band together and act like a family saying these resources aren't mine and they're not yours, they're ours. Um, As we seek to serve the needs of this body, as we seek to do the work of the Lord together, uh, we're we're going to uh, act as a family in this way. Uh, And we we see different aspects of this fellowship, uh, different uses of the collection that we may mention in later lessons, but, but pooling together the funds for, for common work and purpose, for the needs of the family, um, is 
really the primary act of fellowship we see these saints devoting themselves to. And you don't just see that in the book of Acts. You see that throughout the, the New Testament epistles. Look uh, at Romans 15 and verse 26. Uh, and for, for our benefit, I, I'm taking the word koinonia that's translated fellowship back in Acts 2, uh, and I'm pointing it out to us in each of these passages. And Romans 15, verse 26, it says, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution or fellowship, koinonia, for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So here we see Christians reaching out to their brethren in other places and saying, hey, hey you're our family too. And so we're going to help take care of you. We're going to make sure that, that your needs are met. Um, you see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3 and 4. Uh, Paul writes, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation or fellowship in the support of the saints. Uh, a chapter later, chapter 9 and verse 13 because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your fellowship to them and to all. So, so very consistently, the New Testament uses this word fellowship to describe the act of fellowship in reaching out, in these cases, specifically to brethren in other places and saying, hey, you're our family and, and we're going to make sure that we're taking care of you like family, Right? Um, and so that, that was an act of fellowship. Uh, this wasn't primarily charity or benevolence or, or humanitarian mission. It was first and foremost an act of fellowship. That's how it's described. That's what the church was devoting itself to. And I think we see this as an expression, an outward expression of brotherly love. Um, I, I think it might be helpful as we think about this, to, to focus a little bit on the heart behind fellowship, the heart that is driving this devotion to fellowship, and see the way that the scriptures emphasize this. We, we understand the scriptures emphasize love, right? Um, as the foundation of who we're supposed to be uh, in love for, for God and love for other people. But I want us to notice in particular the way that the scriptures emphasize our love for one another as brethren. Um, yes, God loves every soul made in his image. And, and we need to passionately reach out in love to the lost souls around us with the gospel, um, seeking to bring them into the body and family of Christ. Uh, but there's something different and unique about the love that we're intended to show towards one another as brethren. And I, I want us to, to see that. Uh, if you look in John 13, John 13 uh, when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Here he gives them a new commandment. And I want you to notice the language here. John 13, 34 and 35, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. How's the world going to know that we're Jesus's? disciples? By our love, right? Yes, but that's not quite all that it says. It doesn't just say by your love. It says by your love for one another. The, the world is going to look at our fellowship. 
The, the love that we share as a family, the way that we support and encourage and serve one another, and that's what's going to show them more that we're truly Jesus' disciples. Compare this to John 17, where he talks about our unity. Jesus prays that all those who will believe in him will be unified, and our unity will be a witness to the fact that Jesus is who he claims to be, right? And so our fellowship, our love for one another, is in particular what's emphasized as what's going to set us apart. Um, no question were to reflect the love that God has for, for all the world and sending his own son. But here in particular, the emphasis is on our love for one another. And John 13 is not the only one that is going to emphasize that. Look in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. 1 Peter 1 and verse 22, it says, Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren fervently love one another from the heart. Do you see how Peter describes our salvation here? Uh, we were purified for or unto a sincere love of the brethren. We, we were born again into a loving spiritual family, and therefore, one of the things that we need to be very devoted to is to serving one another in love, being fervent in our love for one another, loving one another from the heart. You see that focus again here? Uh, brotherly love and fellowship are some of the most foundational aspects of who we are supposed to be as God's people, of what we became when we were purified, when our souls were purified through obeying the gospel. Later on in Peter's epistle, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 through 10, here Peter writes, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Do you see where the emphasis is once again here? Above all, what are we supposed to be doing as Christians? We're to be fervent in our love for one another. How are we to use the gifts that God has given us in serving one another and showing hospitality to one another? Look, look in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, we're told, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Later on in verse 13, he says, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Does that sound a little bit like Acts 2? Right? Be being devoted to fellowship, being devoted to brotherly love. Uh, they were uh, feeding one another from house to house, breaking bread together from house to house, showing hospitality contributing to the needs of the saints. That's exactly what they were doing, made more clear in Acts 4. That's what God is calling us to be and urging us to be. Um, and so here again, we see a collective aspect of fellowship, contributing to the needs of the saint, as well as an individual house-to-house -house aspect of fellowship uh, and practicing hospitality. Hebrews 13, verse 1 through 3. Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. 
remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves are in the body. You see what the Hebrew writer emphasizes? He doesn't, in this context, just emphasize love. He specifically emphasizes love of the brethren. And I think in this context, um, the New American Standard doesn't make this uh, quite, quite as clear, but when he talks about hospitality, which the word hospitality that we already saw in Romans 12, that we saw in 1 Peter uh, 4, um, literally means love of strangers, right? Um, so in those contexts, same exact word is used as the word is used here when it was specifically talking about one another. Uh, but in context here, he says, let love of the brethren continue. Verse 3 talks about the brethren that are in prison uh, that are also in, in the body with them. Uh, I think what he's talking about here when he talks about showing hospitality, um, the picture that we get is that opening up our home to people that we may have no connection with other than the fact that we know they're part of God's family, Right? We may never have met them before, but we know they're my, they're my brother and they're my sister. Um, and so I, I think that's uh, in context what, what's being talked about here. We're part of the same family, even though we may have never met. In Matthew 25, you remember the, the judgment scene um, where uh, the, the righteous come to the Lord and they say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's not just talking about humanitarian outreach, uh, as good and as commendable as that is. He's talking about being devoted to fellowship. Uh, when he says, one of these brothers of mine, remember in the same gospel earlier, Matthew chapter 12, verse 49 and 50, he stretches out his hands towards his disciples. He says, behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. And so I, I, I'm not saying here that Jesus doesn't want us to feed and clothe non-Christians um, or, or visit them when they're sick or in prison or open up our homes to them. Uh, I think we will see other principles throughout Scripture that, that would encourage those works of us as well. Um, but, but I do believe we should emphasize what the Bible emphasizes. And the Bible doesn't talk about simply being devoted to benevolence and emphasizes being devoted to fellowship. Turn, turn your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And in context here, he's been talking about bearing one another's burdens and thereby fulfilling the law of Christ. Verse 2 uh, he talked about in verse 6, the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. And then as he gets down to verse 10, he says, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. So we are to do good to all people. We, we should be people who are known, as Jesus is described in Acts 10 and verse 38, as somebody who went about doing good, Right? Uh, we should be stirring one another up to love and good works on many different levels. 
Hebrews 10, verse 24. We should be people who are rich in good works, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 18, shining our lights through good works, Matthew 5 and verse 16. Um, and that surely will go beyond the love that we show simply to our, our brethren. But, but nowhere do we ever see that the mission and work of the early church was to serve the physical needs of the community around them. That there's an undeniable emphasis on fellowship on ministering to the needs of the saints, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so it doesn't have to be an either-or thing, and I'm not trying to, to make it. It's not that, that uh, you know, we, we, we don't make effort and encourage one another to be serving people outside of the body of Christ. That's not what we're saying at all. Um, but, but the biblical pattern from the very first days of the Lord's church, is an emphasis on and devotion to fellowship. And if that doesn't describe us, then there's a problem. If my brethren are suffering and struggling financially and discouraged and feeling lonely and unsupported, and I'm out serving in the community, then I have things backwards, right? We want to emphasize what the Bible emphasizes. And I need to make sure that first and foremost, I'm devoted to the things that God is showing me I need to be devoted to. First and foremost, I need to be devoted to serving my brethren, to showing love to my brethren, to supporting the spiritual family that I'm a part of, that people might see that, and they might say, there's something different about them. They're a family. They take care of one another. They love one another. That's John 13 in action. And so this is not something that we see uh, in the book of Acts or elsewhere as an act of community outreach. We never see this service of physical needs used as a mean to, to attract the community. We never see a collection being taken up for that purpose or used in that way. And, and I don't think it's even just that the scriptures are silent about that. I think we see principles and, and ideas from the scripture that would discourage that approach from us. Um, Turn, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. I, I, want to try, I want us to try to put ourselves in the shoes of these brethren and, and think about how we, might, uh, how we might respond to this situation. Acts 11, starting in verse 27. It says, now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Okay, let's, let's put ourselves in their situation for a moment. Um, we find out, we, we get some divine insight that tells us there is going to be a famine and it's going to be over the whole world. What do we do with that information? Well, I, I, I think we might be tempted first to say, well, I need to go home and start stocking up. You know, I, I need to make sure that, that I don't run out of toilet paper. You know, whatever it is. I, that, that's not what they do. They're not stockpiling for themselves selfishly. But neither do they say, this is our opportunity to make an impact in the community. 
you know, the, the, these people, they don't have this divine information that this famine is coming. They're not going to be prepared, but we're going to be prepared. This is our opportunity to be an impact on the people around us. And, and they're going to see that, that we were prepared and we're going to give it to the community. Uh, and, you know, they're going to be drawn to the Lord. That's not what they say either. No, these are people that were devoted to fellowship. And so what they do with that information, they say, we know there, there are going to be some brethren who are going to be in need. And Galatians 6, verse 10, we, we want to take care of those who are of the household of faith, right? I think that shows us the, the mindset that what was being cultivated by the apostles' teaching in the early church. And the mindset that you and I need to have as well. We need to be people who are devoted to fellowship. Who make that a, a priority. How many times do you see the apostles or evangelists going to a community, finding first where they can make the most humanitarian impact, and then using that as a platform to teach the gospel? I really don't think that's what you see at all. Yes, there were accompanying signs and wonders, right? They were working miracles, uh, many times miracles that expressed compassion and care for people. Uh, but you know the very first sign we see Paul performing in his missionary journey is striking somebody blind, <laughs> not healing him. And that seemed to do the trick just as well. Um, and so I think there's something more going on here um, than simply taking care of, of humanitarian needs around them, right? Um, and so it's not that they're using physical needs as, as a bait and switch or, or some type of gimmick uh, to talk then to people about their spiritual needs. That's not the biblical pattern. Um, we, we see Jesus as he describes, um, uh, first of all, in John 6, uh, remember Jesus did work a sign, a miracle, to feed the 5,000. When they had come for the teaching uh, and yet they were in a situation where they didn't have food. Jesus does care for people's physical needs. Um, then when they come back, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life. Jesus' words here warn us against the idea that ministering to physical needs is an effective means we should use to attract people towards the gospel, that we should use that as some type of platform to then share the gospel with them. He did not want people to follow because of the benefit of the benevolence, right? They, if that's what they were focused on in the sign that Jesus worked, they missed the point. He wanted them to see the signs and the spiritual truths that they witnessed to, and be attracted to that. Um, in Matthew 11, when Jesus describes his ministry, John um, uh, the Baptist is in a situation where he's discouraged, and he says, are, are you the coming one, or, or do we look for another? So he sends his disciples to ask Jesus. And notice how Jesus describes his ministry here. He says, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. And the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor are fed. Is that, and the poor are clothed. And the poor are provided for. Is that what he says? He says, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Where was Jesus' 
emphasis. Again, it doesn't have to be an either-or thing. And I, do, I don't want to leave the impression that that's, that's what we're saying or that's what the scriptures are saying. But where was Jesus' emphasis? All of the signs that Jesus performed uh, were, were symbols of, of a deeper spiritual truth. But when you get outside the realm of the miraculous, right? When it's no longer the, the dead and the leper and the blind and it's the poor, all of a sudden there's a, there's a shift to the spiritual truth that all of those signs were witnessing to, right? The poor had the gospel preached to them. Make no mistake, Jesus cares about people, and we need to care about people. We need to have compassion for people. He cared about their physical needs and had compassion on their suffering and hardship. We need to care about people's physical needs and have compassion on their suffering and their hardship. We, he, encourage us to, he encourages us to have that kind of heart. But what people need most is not benevolence. It's fellowship. They need an invitation to become part of the family of God. To, to enter into this loving family where they can have God as their father, be reconciled to him, be born again as one of his children. And that's the focus of our outreach and the focus of our ministry. Biblically, I think that's what we're encouraged to do, to be devoted to fellowship. And yes, even in bringing people into that fellowship where they can experience the full blessings of being part of the family of God. What they saw and was witnessed to uh, based on the, the principles of John 13. They see that we're the disciples of Jesus because of the love that we have for one another and they say, that, that's amazing. That's different than what the world has to offer. And that should witness to the kind of character, um, to the kind of blessings that fellowship with God brings, yes, even in our relationships with one another. So what's the point that we should take away from all of this? Um, I want to make it very clear. I do not intend for this to be a lesson focused on the things we don't do as a church. That's not the point. Uh, the point is that we need to be more focused on and devoted to fellowship, the way that we see the early church being devoted to it, the way that we see that being expressed in their actions towards one another. Uh, we need to be devoted to spreading fellowship and living fellowship with one another, to take care of each other like family, show hospitality in our homes. It's not just that I, I take part in this fellowship by, by putting into the contribution and then I no longer have a responsibility because the church is going to take care of it, right? Well, no, that, that, that's to equip us together to do the work. And I still, even individually, need to be engaged in doing that work. Um, but I need to be serving the needs of my brethren, uh, both here and in other places, uh, with generosity and, and zeal. Th there's a lot more that we could address about biblical concepts of fellowship. I hope to do another lesson where we'll look a little bit deeper at other expressions, outward expressions of fellowship um, and how we see the local church uh, handling collections um, biblically. Uh, but I hope this lesson will provide an effective foundation and framework for how we think about fellowship and will encourage us to be more devoted to fellowship just like we see within the New Testament church. Um, because I do think the primary outward way in which we see that being expressed, uh, that's being talked about when it says they devoted themselves to fellowship, 
uh, in Acts 2 was that they're taking care of one another. And th that's going to mean some, some work. That, that, that's going to mean that we need to make some judgments uh, about, uh, well, first of all, we're going to need to make some judgments about who are we in fellowship with, right, biblically. Um, we're, we're also going to need to become aware of the needs of our brethren, both locally we need to be aware of what one another is going through, what one another is facing, as well as we need to be reaching out and finding out how are my brethren doing in other places? And do they need help? Um, but that needs to be something that we are devoted to. Uh, we need to be devoted to the Apostles' Doctrine. We need to be devoted to fellowship. Devoted to the breaking of bread and prayer, to worship. Does that describe us? Uh, I hope this will be encouraging to you to think more about how you can be devoted to fellowship and engaged in it day by day. Um, but the question that I want us to end with is, are you in fellowship with God, right? We saw that's the foundation of all of this. Um, and without that, th th there's no value, no significance to any kind of fellowship that doesn't start with fellowship with God. Uh, if you recognize that you're not part of his family, that you haven't been living like part of his family, that you've wandered away from his loving arms, like the prodigal son, it doesn't matter what you've done, if you are willing to come back, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 just per persons who need no repentance. Nothing would bring more joy to the heart of God today than for you to come into fellowship with him. If you need to commit your life to him, to put your old life behind you, by God's grace, you can bury that old life in the waters of baptism. You can be raised to live a new life as part of God's family with a hope of eternal fellowship with him and his people one day. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, to the call to fellowship, won't you do that now as we stand and sing together?